Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. By the way, Carol, uh, to give you a little report, she is en route back home from Indianapolis. Yes, this is the same woman who had surgery a month ago and has been recovering. Uh, She had a speaking engagement that she just would not cancel and that was with the MOPS International Convention. Now, those of you that don't know what that is, it's Mothers of Preschoolers. It is one of the largest women's organizations in America and is now moving to a worldwide movement. There were 10,000 ladies at this convention. It's it's nothing insignificant here. I mean, God is really moving mightily among the young mothers uh, in the kingdom of God. It just it started out as a mother's group in a Baptist church, and it just has grown to this. And so, uh, so Carol spoke, and she's coming back today. Um, there, she's got two ladies with her, taking care of her and, uh, and driving her back today. So just be praying for her. She did text me this morning. You know, we do stay in touch, and she had a little encouragement for us today. She said, now, don't forget to pray for the bills in the service today. This is my holy spiritual wife. And, and uh, I said, honey, is that really fair? And Carol said, absolutely. <laughs> now, I, I, let's talk about this for a minute. I mean, is it really fair to pray for your team to win? I mean, let, wait, 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 don't say it. Is it really, think about Boston, Massachusetts actually has churches, and Christians, and they're praying too. Are we going to pray against them? Now, I got to thinking about that. If they are praying for the Patriots, then I'm going to pray for the Bills, right? I mean, I'm not going to let them get away with that, right? Okay, so really, honestly, uh, this is the way I approach it. Back in high school, they always asked me to pray before we played, you know, sports, football, basketball, baseball, and I remember the first time they asked me to do it, and I was on the baseball team, and I really was caught with how to pray. They said, we're going to pray before the game. Craig, you pray. And I'm thinking, I remember this exactly. I remember which team we were playing, what town we were in. And I'm thinking, I'm really fighting this you know, thing about how do you pray because I want to win, but do you really pray to win? And the Lord gave me a prayer. I've prayed it many times. Here we go. Lord, I pray that our team today will play the best uh, game it has ever played. And Lord, I pray that the other team plays the best game they have ever played next week. (laughs) Okay, it works. So you just gotta know how to pray when you pray for your team. All right. (laughs) Yes, we do have a message here. Carol's doing great, though. Thank you for praying for her, and, and uh, she's going to be here Tuesday night uh, kicking off the women's Bible study and looking for a great fall. Father, open our hearts this morning to hear your voice. You called us to this moment. It is your word that changes everything, but it's our reception of your word that makes it happen. It's our belief in your word that makes it happen. It's our trust in your word 
that brings it to play. Lord, your, your word does not return void. And so we just open our hearts right now and say, speak to us individually, together. Speak to us. Show us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure you've asked this question. I've often thought about it. What if I could start all over again knowing what I know now? Do you ever think that? Like, what if I were in high school again? What, what, how would I conduct myself? What would I do? If I were in college again, what, how would I approach things? Uh, my first week of marriage would be completely different, okay? My first year of marriage would be completely different if I, if I knew then what I know now. And so it, it would be an amazing thing to be able to do that, but we think, no, we can't do that. But actually, in the kingdom of God, we can do that. In fact, we're called to do that. In fact, God has built it into the, the whole package of salvation. Um, Peter, actually, in his second sermon said, he said, you know, to call on the Lord Jesus Christ, be saved, and uh, to receive the Holy Spirit, and he said, and times of re- that times of refreshing will come from the Lord. That's, you got to think about that phrase for a moment. He's actually guaranteeing that in the package of your experience with God, there are going to come times, times of refreshing. There are actually going to be events and moments in your life where God's going to bring you back to a major refreshing in your life, kind of a, uh, you know, a, a turning of the page, a de- detachment from the past, a, a time that you can actually start all over again. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to face the consequences of our actions from the day before or whatever. I mean, but it will, it will change how you now respond to those consequences. It's going to change what God can do in your life, no matter what you have to go through. Um, there's, there's also built into this relationship with God a daily moment of, of starting all over again. God says in his word that his mercies, say it with me, are new every morning. It's, it's built into our life with him. Really, technically speaking, any given moment could be a new moment. Any given moment could be a starting all over again. And and the day that we were saved, the day that we came to Christ, we were born again. That's starting all over again. It's, it's a part of the whole package that we learn how to live this way. We are a born again people. And so uh, as, as we are now giving attention to this for about three weeks, we're talking about how to relaunch our faith, how to come back to the most important things and be, uh, be in a place where we can kind of blast off again and, uh, and do it knowing what I know now, do it with a little more wisdom, do it with a little more maturity, and yet return to that place of passion and, uh, and, and be filled freshly with the Holy Spirit and, and now, now approach things a little differently in my life. So, so we've been called to relaunch our faith. One of the best scriptures with that is in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, last week, I, I 
brought us to one word, and that word was the word genuine or genuineness. That, that if you come back to the relaunch, what you want to do is you want to reconnect with the genuine article. You want to come back to the reality, the real part of this thing. Because what happens often is we get off on tangents and we get into things or we start acting out things that really, that really don't have much to do with the genuine. A, a lot of times we are putting on, you know, and I mean that in a negative way. A lot of times we are faking it when we don't really mean it. Now, there is a putting on in the scripture of learning how to step out in faith and to put on righteousness, put on joy, put on, you know, there, there's that, that, but that's not being a put on. There is a, there is a, there is a, a place where we'll often just be put ons. Um, but God is calling us and bringing us back to the genuine, the real item. That does just mean my genuine person. In other words, it's not just me being real. It's coming back to the real deal of faith the real deal of my Christianity, making it real in my life and, and walking it out in a real way. See, that, that's, that's what God is after. I shared my faith with a lady one day, so many years ago, I was about 19 years old, and I really felt um, this Holy Spirit tugging to share my faith with someone, and I was nervous about it. I didn't want to do it, but I, you know, my heart was pumping and my knees were knocking. I knew God was calling me to say something to this lady. And so I said to her, I said, uh, listen, uh, I'm kind of nervous about this, but I feel like I need to share with you my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I shared it with her and she started crying. And I thought, wow, why is she crying? And she looked at me, she said, why, why were you afraid? Why, why, why couldn't you share that with me? Why was that hard for you? And I, as we got through it later, I realized that what touched her was my genuineness. See, I didn't, I didn't sell her something. I didn't step in with somebody's prescribed way to share my faith. I didn't have a list here to give her. I shared from my heart, see? And that, that's all that God's asking is for us to live this thing out from our heart it, and let it be genuine, but do it, see? So to relaunch our faith, let's come back to that. Let's come back to that place where what's happening is genuine and we're seeking the genuine. We're seeking the genuine. We're, we've missed out. I think sometimes because we fake it, we miss out on the real thing. It's like it's almost a cover for not going after the real thing because we're living in the fake of that what, whatever that truth is or whatever that is. And so we live it out in a fake way and we just avoid diving in there and doing what it takes to experience the real thing. And so it's kind of the easy way out to fake it. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and I found that this is, this is true of a lot of us that when we're around each other, we're really awesome Christians. We get around other people, you know, it's like, ooh, I don't know if I can be that there, see? But God is looking for the genuine, the genuine item in our lives. Okay, this week, we're going to deal with another word. It's also a very simple concept to come back to, but boy, is it important. And it's found here in 1 Peter, and it's, I'm going to read to you verses 6 through 11. And I'm going to, I'm going to uh, you know, 
dig into these verses in just a moment, but let's just read it through first. First um, Peter 5, 6 through 11. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. That's also sisterhood, by the way. It's like that word there is almost like saying, you know how we say brotherly kindness? We're really meaning everybody. And even in the Greek, that is an all-inclusive term, that brotherhood deal there in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, I've always wondered about that phrase there, and I'm going to get back to it in a few moments, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Tucked away in the middle of that infamous set of verses is a little phrase that even if you had memorized these set of verses, you probably did not know that it existed. It's a little phrase that follows the idea of resisting the devil who is like a lion uh, roaring, seeing, seeking whom he may devour. It says, uh, be steadfast. Let me read it here. Steadfast in the faith steadfast in the faith. First, let's look at that term, in the faith. That word faith is the word faith that you see throughout the New Testament. But often, as in the English language, a Greek word will mean something different depending on the context in which it was given. So even though it's the same Greek word, if you go back to Mark eleven twenty two, and many of you know that scripture, have faith in God, and you know if you believe this mountain will be moved, that scripture. Well, that the faith, believing for the mountain to be moved, that's one definition of faith. And I know people who aren't even Christians who have believed for wonderful, great things and have seen it come to pass. Uh, most people who build something really big had the faith to build it before they built it. Okay, so that here though we're talking about we're talking about a God kind of faith, believing for big things that are impossible. See, that's that's what that is. But it's still about things or events or circumstances. Over here in this scripture, as in a lot of the locations of that word faith, and here it's very specified: steadfast in the faith, in the faith. Here we're talking about your salvation. We're talking about your relationship with God in general, that you believe that God exists. You believe that Jesus is the son of God and he died on the cross and paid the price for your sin by the shedding of his blood. You believe that he rose from the dead and you believe in your heart and have received him into your heart by this thing that we call being born again. Now, you, we're not Christians because we are culturally Christian. You're not a Christian by coming to church and simply being in the worship service and singing and looking and smelling like a Christian. That, that's not what makes you a Christian. You can, you can do all of that 
and go home and still not have a conversion relationship with God. And so let me, let me make this really clear because what I have found is that people will float in and out of their Christian experience, never realizing that they need to come to the place of actually making the commitment. The Bible says that you're actually born again. It is a transference from darkness to light. There is a conversion of the heart, and God actually takes this new creation, this new person that is created in Christ Jesus. It's not even the original creation. This is because of Christ and who he is. It's a new creation in Christ Jesus placed inside of you. He's given you a new heart. You're a new person. You're not the same person that you were before. The old flesh cries out and tries to get, you know, get back up and take its place. And we have to battle that flesh the rest of our lives and deal with it and, and, and continue to overcome it and keep it dead because it's now dead and I'm alive. This new person is there and maybe it's crusted over and maybe you haven't really fed the new person that you are in quite a while. And so you can't find that new person very well, but it's still there. The new person, the new, the new man or woman that God has made you to be is there. That that's being a Christian. Being a Christian is being born again, starting all over again. Okay? And so, so don't confuse it. Don't think that Christian is just a cultural thing. You know, that I, I call myself Christian because, because I'm, you know, I attend a church and, you know, I believe that Jesus once lived and, you know, and I, I like to hear what I'm hearing. And no, that's not enough. That's not enough. And listen, it's not, it's not, that you're going to go out there and try to be better. That won't do it. We're, we're, we're talking about something that only God can do. Only God can do. Only Jesus has done it. You can't do one thing but receive it. That's all you can do. And then from there, he gives you the strength and the power to walk it out. It's a whole lot better than trying to go out there and try to be a Christian without being one on the inside. That's impossible. And so you, we, we need to understand, we come back Let's come back to that place because, because if you're not a true believer, you need to take that step and receive Christ into your life. If you are a believer and we're out there trying to live it on our own, we're not even, we're not even taking advantage of what's been given to us. See, we've been given this package called salvation. We thought that meant a ticket going to heaven. Salvation is everything you can think of that God could ever do. Salvation is everything that God will ever give you, he's already accomplished at the cross, and it's in that package called salvation. Salvation is the whole of your life, not just a little corner of your life. It's not just the idea of going to heaven. It's the idea of heaven coming to me now. On the inside, that's salvation. Salvation is the big picture, not the little thing, not just the first thing. It's the first, the middle, and the last. It's, that's why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. Because we've got a lot in that package that has not yet been opened. And so we have to come back and relaunch and start fresh and start opening those parts of the package that we've not opened yet. All right? Now, I'm going to... The, that's in the faith. What Peter says is, be steadfast in the faith. Now, now let's get down to business. Last week, we talked about genuineness. If, you, if you're going to relaunch, 
you've got to come back to the launching pad. And I don't, I've never been there, but I know that that launching pad uh, where the rocket takes off, the blast-off point, that launching pad is not just the regular cement that's on your sidewalk. That launching pad must take the heat and the pressure and the power of that liftoff. And so your, that launching pad is the place of steadfastness. Steadfastness or steadfast, not a word we use in our vocabulary, but I, I wanted to use, that's my New King James translation. I wanted to use that word just because of the uniqueness of it and, and the strength of that word. It means firm. Your version may say standing firm. It means firmness. Um, to, to be steadfast really means that you're immovable. It means solid, sure. In a bad sense, it means stubborn. Okay, now some of you have that as well. It's, it's, it's the strength that you're standing on. You're immovable, all right? Um, <clears throat> it's the solid foundation. Um, let's see. Nate, you want to bring a chair up to me? Grab that end chair there. Thank you, sir. Um, let, me, let me show you what stead... Let me tell you a story first, and then I'll show you what steadfast is. Thank you, sir. Um, uh, uh, my father, um, my mother and I were trying to figure this story out because he wouldn't talk much about it. He didn't talk much about anything that, you know, that brought attention to him. And so we've had to kind of figure this story out. I'm going to tell it the best I can. But my father was a professional fireman, and he worked on an army base for 20 years, and uh, that was 24 hours off and 24 hours on. And then he, he also served on the volunteer fire department in the small town that we grew up in. And so my, my father um, came to retirement, and, um, and the volunteer fire department talked about putting him on the board. And so when... Uh, um, they were talking about this. Uh, there's a man in the community who got upset about it because the fire department was about to build a new building and they were going to buy a piece of property right beside his house. And he didn't like that. He thought the value of his property would come down. By the way, at the end of the story, the guy's value went up and he, he was a happy camper at the end, but it was really a work of God. And so, but because he was upset about that and he saw that that my dad was potentially going to be on the board, he got really upset because that piece of property that they were going to buy belonged to my father's sister, okay? So he looked at that and said, man, if he gets on the board, there's, they'll, they'll definitely buy that piece of property because Wesley will want that for his sister. Well, you got to know my dad. Well, my dad would have nothing to do with that. So he just pulled back. He didn't talk about being on the board you know, he didn't go to meetings where they talked about it. He just stayed out of the way. He didn't, he didn't want to be a part of the discussion. And this thing started growing, and things would show up in the newspaper. He even came to my mother and said, don't you read the newspaper? If you hear anything about this, don't you say anything, and I don't want you talking to anybody about it. My dad just pulled back, and he just stood his ground. He did not defend himself. He did not react to it. He didn't get upset. He simply stood and was who he was. 
and lived his life. The day came when the town board met for the board for, to vote on the fire department board. And either daddy showed up or he showed up late. But when he got there, um, lo and behold, the community had turned out. They were his supporters, his friends, showed up at this meeting like, what are you doing here? See? And, and it wasn't because he asked them to come. It was because they heard the scuttlebutt and they read the newspaper and they realized, oh, wait just a minute. We know who he is. We know, we know what's in his heart. And so they showed up and not only voted my dad in, they made him chairman of the board. See? Now, things worked out with this man later on and he realized, man, this is not what this is about at all. And, and it, all, it all worked out great in the end. My dad was the epitome of steadfastness. In, in, in fact, our coat of arms, we, we're Scottish and we have a coat of arms and there's a, you know, a plaid color and, and there's a motto for the uh, name McLeod and, and the motto is stand fast. That's the motto. My dad did all this little investigation. He's the epitome of that. He, whatever the original guy is who started you know, this family, uh, that spirit must have lived on in my dad because he was the epitome of our motto. By the way, just to throw in a little sidelight, the original guy, McLeod, he must have been really ugly. You know why I know that? Because the name McLeod, M-C-L-E-O-D, means son of ugly. Did you know that? Son of ugly. See, I, you, I didn't, I, you've never known that, some of you. Son of ugly. Now, my, my, my three boys had a good time with that growing up. They were the son of ugly. That's who they were. They were the son of ugly. So they would point that out occasionally to me, that they were the son of ugly. And now all three of my boys have boys of their own. <laughs> so I'm enjoying the moment, you know. By the way, hey, little Jack, your dad, Chris, he's, you're the son of ugly. Do you see that? Okay, so we have a little fun with that. But um, uh, steadfastness, well, it's like this chair. This chair. This chair is not going to change. No matter, what I, no matter what I say about it, no matter what I, no matter what I try to do, I could sit here and say, you know what? You're, you're turning yellow. Look at you. You're just, you're turning yellow. I heard you've been scooting around this room. You have a little rebellion in you. You pull back when people try to sit on you and they end up on the floor. I've heard all these things about you. I could do that till I'm blue in the face. This chair is not going to change. This chair is going to stay there. It's going to be brown and it's not going to change because the chair is steadfast. That's what steadfastness is. It's being immovable. And, and being immovable in my faith in God. Now, let's go back and learn what it means. How? How do I become steadfast? All right, let's look at the scripture. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you uh, in due time. The mighty hand of God. The word hand actually has a meaning. Um, it, it is the actual hand, but the word hand itself in the Greek means a helper. It's like the helping hand and God's helping hand. See, now that's, that's, a, that's a powerful thing, but Peter adds the word mighty, God's mighty helping hand. 
And, and, and the word humble means to lower, which is, which you know what that is? Low, to lower yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is the place of humility. It's the place of worship. It's the place of bringing my place, yielding to and subjecting myself to him. It's, it's worshiping him so that he's on the throne and not me. Most of humility comes through prayer and worship and then decisions that we make and serving others and our attitude, but lowering ourselves under his mighty hand. I want you to connect with steadfastness. There's no firmer, more immovable place than being under the mighty hand of God. If I'm not under his mighty hand, then I'm trying to direct my own traffic. I'm trying to live according to my flesh. But if I'm under the mighty hand of God, and what I'm doing is I'm yielding to his control. I'm yielding to his hand's movement in my life. I'm yielding to the ability of God to perform in and through me instead of me doing it on my own. That's what it means to be under the mighty hand of God. That is a safe and secure, strong, steadfast place. It's a place that is immovable. It's immovable. Nothing can touch you under the mighty hand of God. Then he says, casting all your care upon him before, because he cares for you. That's two different Greek words, that word care. The first one is anxiety. Casting your anxiety on him because he cares for you, because he cares about you. So, you know, Jesus said, uh, you know, take my burden, it's light. You know, my, my way is easy. He even used the word easy, easy. Not that life is easy, but when we're yielded to him, then a lot of the striving stops. That's what it means by easy. I don't have to fight against God. I can flow with him. That's a whole lot better, okay? And a lot less stress. And so, so this casting my anxiety on him, getting it off of me and letting him wear it. He can handle it, I've found out. He can handle my anxieties. Anxiety comes from hell. There's no other place. Anxiety is a deception. It is a fear tactic. Anxiety is to, is to basically devour you. That's what it means in that verse that the devil is seeking to devour. You know what it feels like to be devoured? Yes, you do, because you've been caught in that overwhelming anxiety. You've been, that's being devoured by the devil. Or you're caught in a place of weakness and you see no way out of it. That's being devoured by the devil. You know, uh, um, feeling as if you've been put down and rejected and, and denied. That's the feeling of being devoured by the devil. And his goal here is, uh, it's not really, I mean, he is out to steal, kill, and destroy. What he's after really is to kill, steal, and destroy your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and make you inactive to defang you so that you have no impact. And Jesus says, here it's Peter. Peter says, casting your anxiety on him. Get it off of you and put it on him. That's learning to be steadfast in the faith. Then he says, be sober, be vigilant. That's two different words. Be sober, be vigilant. Um, those two words actually have uh, a combined meaning, and that often happens. It 
happens later on in the scripture. But you've got two words here that mean two different things and yet mean the same thing. To be sober is to be alert, to have your mind about you. To be sober is to, is to be sharp in your thinking. To be vigilant is, is also to be alert. It's, it's, to, uh, it's to be able to step back and see. Uh, to be vigilant is to be focused, okay? And so there's one word, when you look this up, like go look it up, even in the Greek dictionary, you'll find a word that describes both words, and that word is watch. Watch. Be sober, be vigilant means to take a step back and observe, watch. Watch what's happening. Don't overreact. Look at what's happening. See the picture. See the picture. Watch. This is, a, this is what being steadfast is. Being steadfast is not to overreact. It's to stand still and watch and be cognizant of what's happening around you so that when the devil is prowling about, you'll see him and you'll go, whoa, 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 there he is. There he is. Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm not going there. Oh, no, I'm not going to react to that. I'm not going to say that because he's drawing me in to devour me. See, that's what it means to watch. The next word I want you to see is the word resist, to resist him. The, to resist, this, this feels like a defensive mode, but really resist means to set yourself against, to oppose, to withstand, to withstand the, the devil. To resist him is to withstand. Now, I'm gonna do something. Pat, I'm gonna use you, my man. Come up here, I need you. Let me, let me demonstrate to you what, steadfastness is and what it means to resist the devil. Oh, wait, let me stand right there. Let me, let me show you the next word too, because this will help you a lot. The word is suffer. Do you see where it says, um, it says, uh, um, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering, sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And I've always been concerned about that word suffer because it looks like what God is saying is, yeah, you know, let him suffer a little longer. That's what it looks like. After you've suffered for a little while, really, God? You just, you want, you just want me to suffer. Well, Again, this word suffer is in context. You've got to see this. It's in context, the word suffer. And to resist, and this, is, this suffering is not, it's not the feel, you know, it's not the, um, it's not, it's not putting yourself down. It is not, it is not uh, just feeling the pain of the problem. That's not what this is. This, this is totally different than that. This suffering is an internal response to the problem. That's what it is. So I'm going to show you. Um, let's see. Uh, we're going to suffer for this? Yeah, this, we're, both going, we're both about to suffer. You might want to take those glasses out. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I, it would have been more nice if I'd said, take your glasses off. Wouldn't that have been great? Okay, so no, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wrap your arms around me and just squeeze. Just grab hold and just squeeze. Squeeze hard, dude. Come on, man. You got to do it. Got to do it. Okay, squeeze. All right. 
try to, this is a strong dude. Let me tell you, he's strong. All right, now, I, uh, come on. All right, you can stop now. All right, so, all right, so I was just suffering on the one hand. I mean, I was feeling the pain. I was, you know, it's, and we look at that. When we look at the devil coming about us and we attach the word suffering, we think that's what it is. That to suffer is just to take, take it a little longer what the devil is doing to me. That is not what that is at all. Here's suffering in that context. It's, all right, all right, try to break loose. If you break loose, that's not good because that makes me look weak. No, I'm, I'm teasing. Go ahead, go ahead, try. Try to break loose. Okay. No, not like that. You're cheating. You're cheating. All right, go ahead. Do it again. Okay, stop. All right, all right. Who's suffering? I'm suffering. You know why I'm suffering? Because I'm resisting the devil. I'm victorious. You see, this is what you need to see is that this suffering right here is, it's like your discipline. It's like if you go to the Y, if you go to uh, a workout place and you're lifting weights and whatever, and you know, yesterday you lifted, you know, 20, 40 pounds. Today, you're gonna add five pounds to each weight. And you try to do the same thing you did yesterday, and now that hurts more, right? You're suffering, but that suffering, what it's doing is breaking down the muscles, and the next day you're sore, and the next day you're stronger than you were before. That's what that word is. It's like God saying, run another lap. It's like God saying, go ahead, lift some more weights, because you're getting stronger. I'm seeing you grow. Go ahead, no pain, no gain. That's what he's saying. He's saying, no pain, no gain. You've got him, you've got him. You've got the devil right where we want him. So, uh, so keep holding on, hold on. Stay right there. After you've suffered for a little while, then we're gonna see the victory and your life is gonna strengthen. And I'll, I'll, it says it right there, I'll strengthen you, I'll establish you, I will settle you, I will complete you, See? And that's just my muscles growing because I've been suffering with discipline. That's what that is. Thank you, man. You're a good man. You are one strong dude too. All right. All right. We've got to understand suffering because people think suffering is poor little old me. I'm going through this hardship. That's not suffering. That's the wrong kind of suffering. And look, we got it. The reason we're suffering of any kind is that we're going through something, okay? And we have to go through it. I mean, there are times of miracles, and the, but often the reason the miracle shows up is because we've come to the end of ourselves and we realize I can't do it. I need to engage spiritually and take this thing on in a kingdom mindset. That's, that's the kind of suffering that God wants us to engage in. I've got a, a great um, example of this, um, and I'll close with that, is that, well, it's not my example. It's, it's, one of, it's a Bible story. It's a great one. You know the story of Paul and Silas. So they were in prison, and it's the midnight story of them singing hymns. Well, these guys were talking about suffering. They had been beaten. They were, they were bloody. They were, um, you know, in chains, 
They were in a dungeon prison. They were surrounded by guards and other prisoners. It looks like from the outside that they're suffering by the enemy's hold on their life. It looks like they're in the arms of the enemy. That's what it looks like. The opposite is true. They're worshiping. They're experiencing the joy of the Lord in the middle of the fire. They're stretching their muscles. They're adding to the weight. See? They're growing as they are strong. They're steadfast. As they, as they actually, it looks like the devil has his grip around them. It's the exact opposite. They've got their grip on him, see, as they worship him in the chains. They're not moved. They're so immovable. They are so vigilant and sober. They are so under the mighty hand of God that when the earthquake happens and the chains come off and the doors open, they don't move. This is steadfastness. They are so sharp in their watch. They are, so, they are so sharp in the Lord in this moment when it looks as if they're totally defeated. They are so in control because of his hand, his control in their life. They're so in control that when the doors open and the chains come off, I don't know about you, but I would see that and go, Thank you, Lord. I can't imagine anybody not running out. Look what God just did for me. But they were steadfast because their mission was bigger than themselves. And so they stood there watching and aware and knowing. And they realized as soon as the change came off, they realized, don't move, don't move, don't move. Don't overreact, don't move. And the guy begins to kill himself, the guard, and they... Say, whoa, stop. And it's because of that man. He takes them to their house in the middle of the night. His whole family gets baptized. He brings them back to the prison and they are released the next day. But listen, that man is the reason that there was a church to write to later called the Philippian church. See, after you have suffered for a little while, after you have held on and you've had your grip around the enemy's works, after you've suffered for a little while, I will complete and establish and strengthen. I will ground you. I will settle you steadfast. See, see the, in the end, there's the amen, the amen. The amen is now God does his thing. Now that I've held steady and I'm steadfast, now God can do his thing. I don't even have to make myself strong. He does it. He's given me the place of strength. Do you see that? Let's stand together. Lord, I don't know what we're going through today, but there's not a person in this room that does not need to stand and stand firm. Lord, thank you for your mighty hand. Thank you for the power to resist. Thank you for the promise that will grow as a result. Thank you for the
solid ground we had to stand on. And Lord, as we learn every day how to come back and relaunch from that place of strength, Lord, may we come back to the place of steadfastness. Lord, we, we take this into every part of our lives and learn how to apply it. Thank you, Lord. Send us into the fulfillment of your call in our lives today as we serve you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and have an awesome day in the Lord. See you at 5 o'clock.